Our text this morning is going to be taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. Mark, chapter 7. This is one of those Sundays when I don't really like my job. Uh, I don't really want to be a preacher this week. Uh, but it, it, because in, in light of the events of the past week, I feel compelled to say something, but I also feel very uh, underqualified and uncertain of what needs to be said. I'm fearful of saying the wrong thing, but I'm also very fearful of saying nothing at all. Uh, if you listen to what people have been saying over the past few days, you get a sense of hopelessness. Uh, you get a sense of fear, of anger, uh, just throwing up your hands and hoping somehow this is all going to work out and I'm going to be okay. And you get a sense of division. Uh, we're a very divided country and it, it, it comes out in situations like this. Red state, blue state, black, white, Democrat, Republican, rich, poor, winners, losers, citizens, immigrants. And those divisions are uh, preyed upon and exploited by many of our politicians, uh, by many of our radio and television talking heads, as my dad likes to call them. And they are also exacerbated. Uh, they're made worse by the anonymity that the internet offers uh, and the echo chamber that can be our social media feeds. And what happens when you have these sorts of divisions is that you get a lot of a lot of us versus them, uh, we become even more tribal than, than usual. Uh, we demonize the people that we disagree with. Uh, Obama is a gay alien Muslim who's trying to destroy the United States. Uh, it's, it's, it's us, and that was a joke if anybody edits that out. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's us, it's us versus them. It's good versus evil. Uh, if you were outraged by what happened to the Dallas policemen, but you were unmoved by what happened to the two black men killed by police officers, then there's a good chance you fall into this type of thinking. On the other hand, if you were outraged by what happened to the police officers, but you were unmoved by what happened to the black... Did I, anyway, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you, if you get the point, uh, then you fall into this type of thinking. Uh, it, it's easy to forget that the people that we demonize are made in the very image of God. And it's easy to ignore information that doesn't fit the narrative that we uh, like, the narrative of our side. So, uh, what does this text have to do with any of that? What does it say to us about all this? Uh, well, Jesus was Jewish, if you'll remember. Uh, he grew up in, the, in a Jewish family. And to the Jews, the Gentiles were those people. The Gentiles were, were those people. If the Jews were blue state and the Gentiles were, were red state, the Gentiles were unclean, they were pagan, they were dogs, they were those people. And interestingly enough, the text that we're going to read this morning is a record of the only time that Jesus left Israel and actually went into Gentile territory. He, he's going this morning into what is now modern-day Lebanon and, and Syria. And what I want us to think about as we read this this morning is, how did Jesus interact with those people? 
with those people. So this is this is God's word. Uh, Mark seven verse twenty four, and we're only going to read about half of this this morning. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. We pray for us. God, would you help me uh, as I uh, attempt to proclaim your word this morning? Would you help us? Uh, to hear what is being said and to understand it. Uh, if something makes us uncomfortable, help us not to immediately get our back up, but to, but to think about these things. Uh, help us to see Christ in all this and hear the gospel and see how that ought to shape the way we uh, interact with others. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so this was originally going to be a four-point sermon, and it's actually a one-point sermon. This is my first ever one-point sermon, but it is a pretty long point. So, um, just have to kind of bear with me as I flesh this out. But here's the point. Jesus shows mercy to those people. Jesus shows mercy to those people. Uh, verse 24, that uh, tells us that Jesus went on the Tyre and Sidon. This is Gentile territory. Uh, it tells us that he wanted to keep his presence there quiet. It doesn't tell us exactly why. You know, he may need to get away from the Pharisees for a while. He may just need some rest, uh, retreat with his disciples. But, but he's trying to get away with them. Uh, but, but even in the, the pre-Twitter days, if a celebrity is in town, people tend to find out about it. And so people find out that Jesus is in town. And there's a Gentile woman who hears about this and she comes to Jesus and she falls at his feet and she begs him to cast this demon out of her daughter. Now, this sort of encounter would be hard to imagine happening with a traditional Jewish rabbi of the day, with any other rabbi, teacher other than Jesus. She's a woman who were thought of to be of lesser status in that day. She's a Gentile. She's not Jewish. And she has a daughter who's demon-possessed. If anybody would have been regarded as unclean, this woman would have been regarded as unclean. So the question kind of hanging in then is, is how will Jesus respond to her? Uh, how will Jesus respond to her? The Jesus who has just said, if you'll remember earlier in Mark's, Mark chapter 7, uh, he had said, it's not the outside stuff that makes a person unclean. It's the things that come up out of your heart. Uh, how's he going to respond to this woman who all of his fellow Jews would have regarded as unclean? She's breaking all the social rules by coming in. Not just the Jewish social rules, but probably the pagan ones as well. Uh, one writer put it this way. He said they were probably thinking, the other Gentiles were thinking, there are plenty of pagan gods. Why does she need to go after a teacher of the uptight and restrictive Israelite deity? Why does she need to go and talk to him? 
She's breaking all the rules because she's in need, because her daughter's in need. And she knows that Jesus is the one who can help her. I imagine that your family is starving, that you're short on food, that you haven't been able to get work, that you're losing your home, and that you have a child perhaps with a major medical issue that's going to cost a lot of money to get treatment for. And you hear that a very generous individual is coming to town. They're giving a speech at the Marriott and then they're leaving. You stay away because you don't have any nice clothes, because security is going to be tight, because you don't want to make a scene, no, you go. And you appeal to this wealthy and generous man. She goes, and she makes her appeal to Jesus. Jesus replies, a little interesting. He says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And you read that and you say, wow, did he really just say that? Did he really just use a racial epithet that Jews used for Gentiles? They called them dogs. And that's how Jesus refers to this woman so much for mercy and compassion, right? Uh, some have looked at this passage and said, well, Jesus is intolerant. And over the course of the passage, he learns to be tolerant. Um, that would contradict a lot of things. It would contradict the way that he interacts with the Gentile centurion in Matthew 8, the way he shows compassion to the Samaritan woman uh, in John chapter 4 as well. It doesn't fit with what he's just said about it. It's the, it's the things coming out of us that make us unclean and not those outside things. What's he doing then? Well, the Greek word for dog, there's a couple of different Greek words for dog. One of them is more of a word for a mongrel stray dog, and one of them is more for a household pet. And that's actually the word that Jesus uses in this situation. Uh, a dog we might keep around the house as a pet. Now, if you've been to our house, you know we have dogs uh, that usually greet you enthusiastically. Um, and, and if anything ever happens to me, there will be 50 dogs at my house. I don't know, Susan will, will visit the pound daily. But, but, but we, we let the dogs kind of hang out around the table and we'll let them have some scraps or some stuff that falls off the table. But it's after we eat. You know, we don't sit down with our plate and go, here, Gus, you go first and I'll eat what's left. Okay, we eat and then maybe we give them some of the leftovers. So in, in using this milder term for dog, Jesus may have taken the edge off a little bit, but it's still a pretty strong thing to say, given the context that they're in. Uh, many would say, and I agree with this, is because of her reaction, what Jesus is doing is he's not so much insulting her as he's laying a parable before her. He's testing her to see, is she just another person looking to come see this magician miracle worker do great things? Or is she coming to him because she is an outsider and yet she realizes that she needs what this Jewish Messiah has to offer. Does she really need Jesus? Does she really want him to act in her life? And the woman hears what Jesus says and she's not offended by it. She, she enters into the parable. She puts herself into the parable and she says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, let me try to put this in, in a modern version. And this isn't perfect, but it's kind of the best I can come up with. 
so bear with me. But, but imagine I'm, I'm the person in charge of letting people into the Masters at Augusta National every year. I'm not a gatekeeper, but I'm, I'm the gatekeeper, and I happen to be working the gate one day. And, and you come up to me, and you're dressed in, in bib overalls, you know, with a straw hat, and you don't have a ticket, and you say, my son is deathly ill, and it's his last wish to be able to come to the Masters. We, we've driven all the way from Arkansas. And I say, you know, it's really not right to let the hillbillies come in before the paying customers. Let them come in first. And you say to me, well, there's two things you can do at this point. You can get mad at me for calling you a hillbilly and storm off. Or you can say, you're right. I really don't deserve a seat at this table. I'm not a paying customer. I, I haven't purchased a ticket. I have no right to get in. I am just a hillbilly from Arkansas. But even the hillbillies get to come in at the end of the day and look for the lost balls and scavenge at the end of the day. We don't deserve to come in. But we'll take even the crumbs from your table. Because we have heard that you are merciful and we are needy. And so we'll take whatever it is you can offer us. That's what the woman says to Jesus. She kind of takes this on. She doesn't say, oh, I'm not a dog. You always call us that. She says, I am a dog. But even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the table. We may be getting crumbs, but, but that's what we need. And, and we can't wait any longer, Jesus. We need them now. Uh, James Edwards commenting on this passage, and I usually don't read this long a section, but it's a, uh, from his commentary. He says, this is the first person in Mark to hear and understand the parable of Jesus. The brief parable of the kingdom and the dogs has disclosed to her the mystery of the kingdom of God. She is not distant and aloof attempting to maintain her position and control. She does what Jesus commands of those who would receive the kingdom and experience the word of God. She enters the parable and allows herself to be claimed by it. She met a living Lord with whom she struggled and contended. She is sparred with Jesus as Jacob sparred with God at Peniel. She is a female Jacob. She is overcome. Jesus sends her home, assuring her that the healing of her daughter has already transpired. Martin Luther said she took Christ at his own word. Then he treated her not as a dog, but as a child of Israel. She doesn't respond in, in, in pride. How dare you say, I'm not worthy. She doesn't slink away either. She doesn't say, you're right, no one can help me. She believes she is unworthy, but she also believes that Jesus is merciful and gracious and kind. And so she doesn't stand on her worthiness. She depends on his mercy. And she says, I'm going to stand here until I receive mercy from you. Y'all, that's, that's the gospel. That's the gospel extended to a Gentile woman. Now, this is someone the Jewish leaders would have said, stay away. Just go away. We don't have anything for you. You're unclean. And Jesus looks at her, and yes, he, he pushes her. He challenges her. But when he sees her faith, he says, go your way. The demon has left 
your daughter. He doesn't look for ethnic qualifications. He looks for faith. He looks for faith. Uh, imagine that you're in the, in the woman's shoes and you're talking to Jesus. And Jesus says to you, it's not right to take the children's food and give it to some racial epithet for, for, for your race. But he says it in a way that you understand, wait, he's not mad at me. He's not trying to put me down. And you think about that, and you think about all the negative connotations that are piled in your mind onto this word that he has just used. And then you have the humility to say, I am that. I am that. But you're merciful. And I know that you've come to bring mercy. And I'm not walking away from you until I get mercy because there's another place I can get it. Uh, in Matthew's account of this incident, Jesus adds, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Saving faith is saying, I, I, you know what? Jesus, you're right. I am a dog. I am a sinner. I am unfit. But you've got a whole lot of mercy on that table. And I know that there's enough mercy there for me. I don't deserve it, but I need it, and you're the only one that I can get it from. Uh, some people hear Jesus say this and they reject Jesus because their pride won't let them admit that they're one of the dogs, that they're sick, that they're sinners. Others of us walk away because we think, yeah, that is right, and there's, I am a dog, and there's no way God could ever have any use for me. Jesus comes for the dogs. Jesus comes for the dogs. I, I, I am unclean. I am one of those people. But Jesus comes for me. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's good news for you this morning. If you are carrying around guilt, if you're carrying around shame, if you've got marks on your record, if you are not the, the, the good girl or the good guy that you've always presented yourself to be or that maybe you thought you once were, it's good news because Jesus welcomes sinners who cling to him by faith. Now, if you get that, if you get, I'm unclean, I'm one of those people, I'm not with God because of my qualifications or my ethnicity or anything else, I'm in because God is merciful, how should that affect the way that you and I interact then with those people? If I realize I'm really one of those people, how should that affect the way that you and I interact with the people that we perceive to be the Gentile dogs, the, those people? Who are, the, who are the Gentiles to you? You're, who are the dogs? Are they the Hillary supporters? Are they the, the Trump supporters? Are they black people? Are they Hispanic people? Are they police officers? Are they immigrants? Who are those people and will you and I treat them and show them the mercy that Jesus has shown to us, even though we really are those people? It really should impact, shouldn't it? The way we interact with others. At our <clears throat> denomination's general assembly this year, uh, the following overture passed overwhelmingly, I might add, thankfully, uh, and, and I'm going to read this and I'll... I'll send out a copy of this via email, but it passed 
861 for, 123 against, and 23 uh, abstentions. But this is, I want to read the, the overture uh, passed by our General Assembly because our General Assembly has actually encouraged us to do this with our churches. Uh, Be it resolved that the 44th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America does recognize, confess, condemn, and repent of corporate and historical sins, including those committed during the Civil Rights era, and continuing racial sins of ourselves and our fathers, such as the segregation of worshipers by race, the exclusion of persons from church membership on the basis of race, the I might be able to do this, the exclusion of churches or elders from membership in the presbyteries on the basis of race. The teaching that the Bible sanctions racial segregation and discourages interracial marriage. The participation in and defense of white supremacist organizations. And the failure to live out the gospel imperative that love does no wrong to a neighbor. And be a further resolved that this general assembly does recognize, confess, condemn and repent of past failures to love brothers and sisters from minority cultures in accordance with what the gospel requires, as well as failures to lovingly confront our brothers and sisters concerning racial sins and personal bigotry and failing to learn to do good, seek justice, and correct oppression. And be it further resolved that this General Assembly praises and recommits itself the gospel task of racial reconciliation, diligently seeking effective courses of action to further that goal with humility, sincerity, and zeal for the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel. And be it further resolved that the General Assembly urges the congregations and presbyteries of the Presbyterian Church in America to make this resolution known to their members in order that they may prayerfully confess their own racial sins as led by the Spirit, and strive towards racial reconciliation for the advancement of the gospel, the love of Christ, and the glory of God. And be it further resolved that the 44th General Assembly call the attention of churches and presbyteries to the pastoral letter containing Overture 55 as an example of how a presbytery might provide shepherding leadership for its churches toward racial reconciliation. And be it finally resolved the 44th General Assembly remind the churches and presbyteries of the PCA that BCO sections 31 and 38 provide potent and readily available means for dealing with ones who have sinned or continue to sin in these areas. Now, why did we do that? Now, why did a, a denomination that was formed in 1973, gets this post-civil rights movement, confess to, among other things, sins committed before the denomination was actually formed. Uh, this, this overture was actually originally from one of our presbyteries. We had several presbyteries sent up overtures along these lines, uh, probably 40 or 50. That's something that started last year at General Assembly, and then we kind of perfect these and adopt the one that we think fits the best. And what we adopt is the overture that I just read itself. What we don't adopt as an assembly is the rationale that the presbytery sends up with it. But I wanted to read you the rationale from one of the presbyteries so you could get a little sense uh, of why this was adopted. Um, whereas the, the 40, and this is from Potomac Presbytery, whereas the 43rd General Assembly considered a personal resolution on ra racial reconciliation, now this happened 
last year at General Assembly, and referred the matter to the 44th General Assembly so that lower courts could perfect and propose a resolution encouraging heartfelt repentance. Uh, whereas in the 1973 message to all the churches, the founding generation of the Presbyterian Church in America expressly declared our denomination to be the continuing church of the Presbyterian Church in the United States, saying, we have called ourselves continuing Presbyterians because we seek to continue the faith of the founding fathers of that church. In other words, we have always and everything seen ourselves very connected to the Presbyterians that have gone before us in good things that they have done. So we ought to see ourselves connected in things they did that weren't so good as well. And whereas the formation and identity of the PCA was shaped through the honorable and courageous commitment of our founding denominational leaders and churches to be faithful to the scriptures and doctrine and in practice, and these convictions remain with us to this day, and whereas during the civil rights period there were founding denominational leaders and churches who not only failed to pursue racial reconciliation, but also actively worked against it in both church and society through sinful practice, such as the segregation of worshipers by race, the exclusion of persons from church membership on the basis of race, the exclusion of churches or elders from membership in presbyteries on the basis of race, the teaching that the Bible sanctions racial segregation and discourages interracial marriage, the participation in and defense of white supremacist organizations, and the failure to live out the gospel imperative that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Whereas the vestiges of these sins continue to affect our denomination to this day and significantly hinder efforts for reconciliation with our African American and other minority brothers and sisters by often refusing to lay down our cultural preferences so that these brothers and sisters might feel more welcome in our churches, not sufficiently encouraging minority culture brothers into leadership within our general assembly committees and agencies, presbyteries and churches, as evidenced by our history, failing to, failing to lovingly confront our brothers and sisters concerning racial sins and personal bigotry, and failing to learn to do good, seek justice, and correct oppression. Whereas the 30th General Assembly adopted a resolution on racial reconciliation that confessed heinous sins connected with unbiblical forms of servitude, but did not deal specifically with the racial sins committed during the much more recent civil rights period, which betrayed the visible unity of all believers in Christ, the command to love our neighbor as ourselves, and the image of God in all people. Um, whereas God has once more given the PCA a gracious opportunity to show the beauty, grace, and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ through confession and through the fruits of repentance, such as formative and corrective discipline for racial sins, in understanding and appreciation of minority cultures, intentionally establishing interracial friendships and partnerships inside and outside of domination, renewing our church's commitment to develop minority leadership at the congregational, presbytery, and denominational levels, and encouraging a denomination-wide vision for and commitment to a more racially and ethnically diverse church in obedience to the Great Commission. That was long. I know that was long. I hope, you, I hope you made it through all that with me. I generally don't like to read something that long. Uh, you can see in that, that was from one of our presbyteries, some of their rationale uh, for wanting us to pass this uh, racial reconciliation overture. Now, what did all that say? It said we wanted to own the sins of our fathers, of our founding fathers, that weren't confessed, that weren't repented of at that time, 
And we want to acknowledge that while, yes, we have, we have come a long way as a people, as a denomination, there's still work to be done. And we want to own that and acknowledge that. But I want you to think about what we as a, as a church, as a denomination, just said. Well, what did we just do? Uh, we said that we, and, and when we confess corporately, it doesn't mean every single person in the same way, but, but we as a people, we as a denomination, corporately and historically, have treated African Americans like those people. Like dogs. That's what we, that's what we just owned as a denomination. But in our history, that's what Presbyterians have been guilty of doing, and some of that has trickled down even to this day. And that's not in keeping with the gospel, because we ourselves are Gentile dogs who have been shown mercy, not because of our works, not because of our ethnicity, but simply because of the grace of God. We have received mercy to receive crumbs from the king's table. And so what does all that mean uh, for us. Let me say several things in closing. Kind of tie all this together. Uh, number one, if, if you know of racial sin in your own life that is unconfessed, I, I appeal to you before God to confess it to Him, confess it to other people who have been uh, affected by it, confess it to who you need to confess it to. Number two, uh, we've always said at Grace that we want to be uh, multicultural. There's a couple of us from Alabama and Mississippi, but other than that, we're not, we haven't, in Georgia, but other than that, we haven't come very far uh, along those lines. Uh, we've had African Americans visit. We've had a black friend of mine preach, and, and hopefully will again. But I would just encourage us to renew our efforts to reach and, and, and to pray uh, that people from the African American community and other minority cultures would be comfortable here and would even become a part uh, of grace. Uh, number three, I want to encourage us to listen to the African-American community and not write it off when they tell you that they fear interactions with the police. Uh, and I'm not in saying this commenting on any particular incident, but, but when black dads tell you that they have to have the talk with their kids about how they have to interact with police officers, and we don't have to have that, y'all. They do. That's real. And if you don't believe that, you need some more black friends. Just to be blunt. Because that, that's the thing. Uh, Newt Gingrich, who is very white and very Republican, uh, said this recently. He said, it took me a long time and a number of people talking to me through the years to get a sense of this. If you're a normal white American, the truth is you don't understand being black in America and you instinctively underestimate the level of discrimination and the level of additional risk. Listen, listen to, to, to what they're saying. Number four, uh, develop friendships across racial lines. Uh, and, and even more than that, not just that, try to develop relationships with those people. Whoever those people are for you. Like, I, I really think we've come a long way with the racial thing, even though. It's not represented here. I, I kind of think the bigger unspoken issue now on the PCA is poor white people. Like we don't, we don't, we. It's a, it's becoming a class thing. That's what we're going to be repenting on in forty years, I think. Um, but but whoever those people are to you, uh, but maybe it's Democrats, maybe it's Republicans, who, whoever it is that you just kind of like, uh, build build relationships with those people. 
Uh, number five, pray for our police officers. Uh, they have an incredibly hard job to do. And right now, a lot of them feel like they're being perceived as those people. Like, they're the ones that feel that right now. That, oh, we're, we're the unclean ones. They have a job that, that I, I honestly could not do. And some of them feel like, I mean, we're being wrongly accused, and we're, we're just trying to do the best that we can. Pray for them. Build relationships with them. Uh, I'm a, a chaplain for the, the Spartanburg Police Department trying to, trying to figure out how to do that. But right now, it's me and five African-American clergy. Now, think about that. I mean, I, I, just, I feel like that, their involvement, speaks volumes and has the ability to speak volumes. These African-American clergy caring for our police officers. Uh, number six is to pray for our country and the things that divide us. And then number seven, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. I, I am a dog, but I am saved by grace because Jesus showed me mercy. And if Jesus showed mercy to those people, and if Jesus showed mercy to me because I'm really one of those people, then I can show mercy to those people whoever they are uh, as well. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, um, we are sinners, uh, we, are, we are racist, we are classist, uh, we are sexist, we, we just, we're just messed up all over the place. Uh, but you've got a big gospel that, that invites sinners to come and, and to believe, uh, confessing their sin, but resting in your mercy and receiving grace and mercy from your table. And so we cling to that today. I pray that we would see how great your gospel grace is and that we would be renewed and changed by that and set free, uh, set free from our anger and our self-protectiveness and, and set free uh, to love and to extend the gospel to others. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.